good morning. If we've never met before, my name is Gavin, and uh, I am a friend of RCC. I appreciate you saying that, man, Lee. I appreciate that. I, uh, I think I've probably been down like maybe eight or so times, and so I'm just not as many as Paul, but, you know, I'm like here a decent amount. So I, uh, I really like being here. I, I appreciate uh, every time I get to come down, and I, I tease Paul all the time. I'm like, every time I come, you've launched a new campus. So I, I know that Blountstown and Shipley and, you know, uh, Wakulla and you guys here in Mariana are joining us, but Fairhope, welcome. I don't think I've ever had a chance to be here when you guys have been a part of this whole thing. And so, and you should know, man, that RCC is just this amazing group of people. And I'm super pumped that you guys in Fairhope are a part of this thing, too. It's really cool to have kind of this expanding thing happening, and you guys get to be a big part of it. So thanks for, for joining and agreeing. And I know it's hard work in the beginning, but it's worth it. So thanks for that. Um, hey, I am really excited to be here. And uh, here's what's fun for me. Um, this is week two of this series we're calling Dollars and Cents. Last week, a lot of you probably showed up, and you didn't know we were talking about money. And so you were like, dang it, if I'd have known, I wouldn't have come. But this is what's cool is that this is week two, and you're back. And so you must... You must be like the extra credit in heaven people, so way to go. I'm, I'm excited. I didn't think anybody would be here for week two, and I felt really bad for Paul next week in week three. So, um, for, so, so thanks for showing up. If you're here for the first time, you didn't know. So um, sorry. We'll, we'll, have, we'll make it fun as, as much as we can. Um, what we're going to talk about today actually kind of comes out of this uh, big sermon that Jesus gave. If you grew up in church like I did, you probably have heard it before. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. They called it that, we think, because Jesus was on the side of a mountain and there were probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people kind of on the mountain with him. They could have called it the Sermon on the Mount because you could have run up and down the mountain ten times and he still would have been preaching. So either way, it's a really long sermon. Um, it's in the book of Matthew. Matthew was one of those 12 disciples. He was there. He had a first-hand account. He was at the Sermon on the Mount. And when he kind of wrote about it, it's kind of cool to read what he wrote because he was, he was there for it. Again, it's this really long sermon. It's kind of in Matthew. It begins in Matthew 5. It goes through uh, chapter 6 and through chapter 7. It's like three full chapters just on the Sermon on the Mount. So it's a really good read. He covered a lot of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he, he kind of got off to a really good start. He, he did this thing called the Beatitudes. You may have heard of the Beatitudes. It's like, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those um, who are hungry, blessed are the poor. It's like, wow, Jesus, like you really started off with some soft stuff. So he kind of started with that. He talked about being salt and light of the world. That was a good part. Um, he got really fun in the middle. He talked about adultery, talked about the law, talked about divorce, talked about anger. Everybody was really excited. He got a standing ovation. He talked about um, you should pray for your enemies and pray for the people who persecute you. Everybody was really excited about that. Uh, but right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, but this thing could have been a whole series. He did it in one sitting. Uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed a topic in which everybody kind of opened their eyes and perked up. I mean, some of the people had gone to sleep maybe. They were like looking at clouds and developing shapes out of them. I don't know. But when he addressed this topic, everybody sat up and paid attention because everybody knew what it felt like to be worried. Like when he started talking about worry, everybody sat up. 2,000 years ago, it's hard to imagine, but some of you may feel this way now. I don't know, but it was a very hand-to-mouth culture, meaning that anything that came into you, your hand left your hand within a few minutes. Like if you caught fish at 10 a.m., you ate it for lunch that day. If somebody paid you for some work, you probably spent that money that night for food. I mean, food, clothing, shelter were the, the basic necessities, and not everybody even had that. And everybody, for the most part, was concerned. They were worried if they were going to have it. Again, very hand-to-mouth culture. Um, I don't mean to drag you into this, but the more things 
things change, right? The more things stay the same. It's been 2,000 years, and, and while we probably aren't all worried about where we're going to eat lunch today, I mean, we are still kind of worried, right? If you're a, a student, you're worried about school, you're worried about tests. If you're an adult, or even if you're a student too, you're probably worried about relationships. Like, you may be dating, like you're worried about getting a date, you're worried about what to wear on your first date, you're worried about maybe if there was going to be a second date, now he's really creepy, and you're worried about saying no for the third date, you know, you're you're hoping to get married one day, you, you're worried about the wedding, you spend way more time worrying about the wedding than you do worried about the marriage, right, which we should flip that, that's a whole other series, but you know, you're, you're worried about the wedding, you know, you're, you're worried if you should have kids, you're worried if you can't have kids, then you have kids, you're like, oh man, I'm really worried now, because look at these, I'm responsible for these humans, I mean, there's like a lot to worry about, and that's why we worry, because there's so much to worry about. Um, it's kind of cool that Jesus addressed worry in the Sermon on the Mount. Here, here, here's what I really want to do. I want to spend a little bit of time telling you what Jesus said about worry, but I'm going to spend the majority of our time telling you why he talked about worry. Like he said some really good things about worry, and it's important to know what he said, but why he talked about worry may be more important than what he even said about worry. So Matthew chapter 6, here's kind of what Jesus said on the side of the mountain about worry. Here we go. He said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Remember this hand-to-mouth culture. It's like food, drink, clothes, shelter. I mean, that's about it. And he says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about all that stuff. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He always asks the best questions, you know. And then he's, and he's on the side of this mountain, and I think he kind of looks out. He's a little sarcastic. Some things I like about Jesus. He, he looks out. And he kind of points to all these birds that are flying by. He goes, hey, hey, everybody, look look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They're not worried about what they're going to eat. And if your heavenly father cares enough about the birds, don't you think he's going to care for you too? And, and then he kind of looks down at the field. He goes, look at all the lilies, all the flowers down in the field. Look how beautiful they are. And you guys, these guys were Jewish. He goes, you remember Solomon, how like incredibly well-dressed he was? He was like GQ's man of the year, you know, every year. Like, remember that guy? Well, he was dressed well, but look at the flowers. They're dressed even better than he was. And if God cares so much about the flowers, don't you think he's going to care for you too? And I think they all kind of started nodding their head and like, but I'm still worried. Like, I still have a lot to worry about, Jesus. He goes, I know. So he asks him another question. He says, why do you have so little faith? And I think everybody on the side of the mountain went, I, I, don't, I don't know why I don't have m- much faith. But this isn't a faith issue, Jesus. This is like a tunic and a cloak issue. This is a shelter issue. This is like I didn't catch any fish this morning issue. This is a I, I don't know what to do uh, for lunch issue. Like, like, I mean, I appreciate the question about faith. This isn't a faith issue. And we would have said the same thing if Jesus said, why do you have so little faith? We go, I don't know, but... I mean, this is like a 401k issue, not a faith issue. This is a health issue, not a faith issue. I appreciate the question, but I mean, it's not what I'm worried. I'm not worried about faith. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my income. I'm worried about my expenses. Like, like this is this is a, a not a faith issue. This is a worry issue. And 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 Jesus knew that, you know. So he kind of continues, but he doesn't even address it. Look what he says next. This is awesome. He says, "So do not worry about these things." And he knew the things they were thinking about, you know. He goes, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, talking about this faith thing again. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. And then he kind of gives them a solution of what they should do. He says, 
Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything, he being God, will give you everything that you need. And this is such a cool thing. I grew up in church. Maybe you did too. Uh, growing up in church, I heard this over and over and over again. Like, I mean, I grew up going to like vacation Bible school. Maybe you did that. We had like a flannel graph and like flannel Jesus was like flapping. The wind would blow him off, you know, like, like I heard this over and over as a kid growing up. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. And so I kind of understood it to be like, well, seek God. Like you should pray a bunch. You should get up really early in the morning and read your Bible because that's what Jesus people do. Even though you hate mornings, if you want to be a Jesus person, 4 a.m., you know. So I was never a Jesus person really that way. And then um, like you go to church a lot. Like it was all that stuff, you know. And, and I think that's what's really important. Like seeking God is really important. In, in fact, we said it like seeking God though. Seeking God is about your relationship with God, and your relationship with God is really important, and, and, and I think God wants you to seek it. Like, I think he wants you to pray. I think he wants to talk with you. I think that stuff's really important, but, but that's not what this verse was about. Like, I used to think it was about that, but that's not what the verse is about. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying to seek something bigger than just God. He, he was saying to seek the kingdom of God, to, to be a part of something way bigger than just your relationship with God. Like seeking the kingdom of God is something way more significant with that. You, you see, like seeking your relationship with God is about your relationship, but, but seeking the kingdom of God, it's about your participation in something way bigger, much greater than you. The, the, the kingdom of God is everywhere God is at work. Like the kingdom of God is the movement of God. It's the things that he's up to in the world. And, and what's so cool is that, Jesus was saying, hey, you should seek to be a part of that. You should seek to be a part of something way bigger than just your personal relationship with God. And when you seek to participate or to be a part of the kingdom of God, some really cool things about worry begin to happen in your life. Because Jesus understood something. He's so smart, right? He understood that, that worry and our participation in the kingdom of God are directly connected. Like, like worry and how we're able to be a part or participate in this bigger kingdom of God are so kind of inextricably linked. And, and here's how. This is what Jesus knew. Because worry, worry kind of directs your heart. But worry directs your heart to your kingdom, not to the kingdom. Like when you worry, you worry about your kingdom stuff, right? And, and not, not to be like kind of like, oh, well, he's me, but it's true, right? Like when you worry about stuff, you're kind of worried about your stuff. And you may say, no, I'm worried about my kids, but they're still your kids, you know? Like, like you're worried about your kingdom-related things. And Jesus knew that, that when you worry about your kingdom, it's really going to hamper your ability to, to be a part of the bigger kingdom. And, and, and Jesus knew that. And so when you think about kind of worry and you think about your kingdom, can, can you guess, like, what version of worry causes the biggest problem for us? I mean, it's, it's financial worry. But financial worry is like one of the most debilitating worries we will ever face. And, and even if there's other things in your life that are causing worries, there's probably a financial part of it, you know. Like there may be a health worry, but that health worry is probably going to have a financial part to it. it. It may be a kid worry, but the kid, the kid worry definitely has a financial part to it. No doubt, you know. Like every worry, even if it's not primarily a financial worry has a financial part of it that we're worried about and over time what used to be the kind of the secondary worry financial becomes the primary worry the health thing may go away but the bills don't really go away so this financial worry piece is is a real debilitating worry 
But here's what Jesus really wants. Jesus wants you to feel free to not worry. Like he wants you to be freed from worry, including kind of financial worry. And that's actually why he talked about worry. If you go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's so cool. Like Jesus is talking about so many different topics. And then in the middle of it, he addresses this one topic. I'm about to show it to you. And then right time he's finished, he looks at the crowd and they're all super worried. And so he goes, oh, I should tell you not to worry. Look how worried you are. I should tell you not to worry. That's actually why he talked about worry. So do you guys want to hear what Jesus said to make everybody so worried? Doesn't that sound fun? Aren't you glad you came to church today? All right, here, here's what Jesus told those guys 2,000 years ago that made them all so worried. And it may make you a little worried too. If it does, hang around till the end. Here, here's what he said. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, which was super offensive. Even 2,000 years ago, crazy offensive. Like in this hand-to-mouth culture, the idea of Jesus telling you, hey, if you ever have the opportunity to store up anything extra in case things don't go well, don't do it. I mean, that was insane. They were working so hard just to make ends meet for the moment, for the day, maybe sometimes for the hour. And so the thought of them having extra and not saving it, storing it up, I mean, <laughs> that's what the good people got to do. They got to store up stuff. And all the people on the side of the mountain, they're thinking, are you crazy, Jesus? If I ever have the opportunity to store something up, you better believe I'm storing something up. He says, but don't do that. You can see why they're already getting worried. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Treasures meaning stuff, money, wealth, right? Instead, he says, instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. And then 2,000 years ago, everybody went, uh... The treasures in heaven aren't feeding me today. <laughs> like, like the treasures in heaven aren't helping me with my sandal that has a hole in it. Like the, the treasures in heaven, I mean, it sounds good, Jesus. I don't even know what treasures in heaven mean, but I don't want to store it there. I want to store it here. And I don't care if a moth eats a little bit. I'll still have a little more left over. This sounds good, you know. Like this was so worrisome to them. Of course, treasures in heaven just means investing in, guess what, kingdom of God stuff, right? Like that's what he was saying. To invest in the things bigger than them. To be a part of something that was way more important and way bigger than them. Now Jesus knew that this was a heart issue though. Like he knew that this wasn't a, a money issue. This ultimately was a faith issue or, or a heart issue. So when he looks at this crowd, they're already getting super worried, you know. And he looks at the crowd and he wants to address their hearts. So he tells them, he says, listen to your hearts when he's calling for you. Listen to your hearts. There's nothing else you can do. I'm just kidding. Jesus didn't say that. Actually, Roxette said that. It's a band. This is a song. Uh, Roxette said this. Listen to your heart. When he's calling for you, listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know where you're going and I don't know why, but listen to your heart before he says goodbye, right? It's a really fun song to sing. It's terrible advice. It's just terrible advice, right? Listen to your heart. If anybody says listen to your heart, don't do what they say. It is terrible advice. And here's why. Your hearts are idiots. Your hearts are morons. Your hearts are liars. They will lie to you. I, I don't want to take you back to bad things, but like your biggest regret started with your heart going, ooh, that sounds fun. Like that's how it started. Your heart went, ooh, look at her. Bad idea. Like your heart is the problem, you know. Ooh, he looks rich. No, like don't listen to your heart. Because your heart will lead you to some of the worst decisions of your life. Some of the biggest regrets. 
It's a fun song to sing. It's terrible advice to give. And here's what Jesus is about to say. He's about to say that directing your heart is way better than listening to your heart. Did you know that you can actually direct your heart? You can tell your heart to where to go. You don't have to just listen to where it wants to go. You can actually direct it. You can tell it where to go. And that's what Jesus told everybody on the side of that mountain. He said, wherever your treasure is, meaning wherever your stuff is, your money is, your wealth is, your riches is, wherever your treasure is, and here's the principle, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now what's so brilliant about this truth is that it's a principle. Like you can leverage it for your benefit or it can control you. Either way, it will be active in your life because it's just a principle. In fact, if you haven't heard anything else this whole day, you're counting lights or whatever, I don't know, like you should hear this. Your heart is going to follow your stuff. Your heart's going to follow your treasure. It's a principle. And you can use it to make it work for you or you can ignore it and it will just kind of control you. Either way, it will be a part of your life. And Jesus knew that. And he said, so wherever your treasure goes, wherever your stuff goes, your riches goes, your heart is going to follow. Then he kind of continues. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he kind of summarizes it. He says, you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Meaning that you can't serve one thing if you're enslaved to something else. Like, like you can't serve the kingdom of God. You can't participate in the things of God if you are in bondage or enslaved to something else. This really resonated with this crowd because they understood what it meant to be enslaved to something. I mean, slavery back then, a lot of it was indebted like volunteer slavery, but they understood what that meant. And if you were a slave for someone, if you were working for someone to pay off a debt or whatever that may be, you knew that even if a better opportunity came along, you couldn't take advantage of it because you were enslaved, you were indebted to something else in that moment. Jesus understood that and they understood it. And he says, and you can't serve God if that principle is working against you. If you don't understand how treasures and heart work, you're going to end up actually enslaved to something else. Now, the end of this little teaching, this moment in the sermon, he looks around, and everybody's really worried. And then he looks at him and says, that's why I tell you not to worry. Like, the reason Jesus taught on worry is because he just taught about treasure and the kingdom of God and what it looks like to, to intentionally direct our heart through our money, through our wealth, to things that are way bigger than us. And everybody got really worried. That's why he talked about worry. So here, here's what Jesus understood, that, that worry really does enslave your heart with your kingdom. Like worry enslaves your heart to your kingdom. But, but Jesus wants you to be free from that. Je Jesus wants you to be able to, to be free to seek the kingdom of God without worry. Because when you seek the kingdom of God, you find things like peace and you find things like hope and you find things like comfort. I mean, you don't find a bunch of new cars, but you find things way better than new cars. Like you don't find a new boat, but you find peace. It's worth it. And Jesus wants you to be free to seek that stuff. And he wants you to feel free as you're seeking that stuff. And here's what he understood. That worry works directly against that. And I understand why we're worried. I mean, we're worried because if we begin to kind of redirect some treasure towards the kingdom of God, we're worried that our kingdom may not be a kingdom anymore. Like we're worried if we start moving things towards the kingdom of God that our kingdom may go away. And I don't want my kingdom to go away. I kind of like having a kingdom, you know. 
But, but God is not suggesting that you move everything away and you lose everything that you have. That's not what he's suggesting at all. He's just saying that you can direct your heart by moving some of your treasure. So, so, so what does it look like to kind of do that? Here's what I will definitely tell you in my life for sure. I have definitely spent time in my life being financially worried. And I have spent a lot of time trying to maintain the biggest kingdom that I had, and it never led to anything better for me. I've also spent a good portion of time, though, moving treasure towards the kingdom of God and then finding freedom and finding peace and finding comfort and watching worry kind of, kind of melt away. And every time I moved it in that direction, it was the principle that Jesus talked about that caused the change in my heart. Because where my treasure is, my heart is as well. Let, let me give you some examples of how true this is. Um, there's a restaurant I love to eat at. It's called Chick-fil-A. Um, where I live, there are Chick-fil-A's uh, like every mile. I know that, that for you, that's terrible. You have to like an hour away, you know. I mean, this is like seven versions of hell almost. So you have to go a long way to get to Chick-fil-A. Like with me, it's right around the corner. Part of my heart is at Chick-fil-A because five days a week, some of my treasure goes there. That's why. I'm just telling you. Like when you ask me about Chick-fil-A, my eyes light up. And part of it is because part of my treasure is there. Multiple times a week, my treasure is there. Um, my oldest daughter, she just went to college. She's a freshman at, at the University of North Georgia. It's in kind of the northwest-ish, kind of North Georgia mountains in a city called Dahlonega. It's this really cool place. I never really heard anything about North Georgia a year ago, you know, nine months ago. And then we started doing college visits. And we went and looked at it, and I walked around, and I thought, yeah, this is it's all right, you know. I saw these parents there and some of the, the the adults had like ung dad shirts and you know university of north georgia parent on their car and i thought oh, that's kind of dumb i'm not gonna I mean, why would i do that you know i'm not doing that well then she decided to go to the college she decided to go to ung and, and, and so a couple i guess a month ago or so a month and a half ago she just started at ung and and and, and like literally two days after she started i was at a restaurant i'll give you one guess which one chick-fil-a i'm in line and this girl walks in, and she has a T-shirt on, and it says, University of North Georgia, Nighthawks. And I went, yeah, go Nighthawks. And the girl's like, whoa, this is weird. This 40-year-old guy is yelling at me. And I was like, oh, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Sorry. My daughter just started at UNG. I'm like super big fan of UNG. Like, I love the Nighthawks. And all of a sudden, I paused, and I thought, I don't care about the Nighthawks. Why do I love the Nighthawks? Why, why do I like UNG? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because... Just before she went, a portion of my treasure went to UNG. Like $5,000 of the portion went to UNG. And all of a sudden, I'm not kidding, all of a sudden I thought, I want a parent of UNG sticker on my car. I want a t-shirt. That's how the principle works. And from what I understand, listen, from what I understand, a lot more of my treasure is going there in the next three years. Which means a lot more of my heart is going to go there. It's just how the principle works. My heart is at Woodstock City Church. And it's not because I'm a professional Christian there. I mean, I do get to do that there. But it's not because I work there. It's because 10 years ago, when our family moved from South Atlanta to Woodstock, North Atlanta, we began giving to that new church. And, and we stopped giving where we were. We started giving to the new place. And immediately my heart shifted there. I, I didn't ask Paul if I could tell you this, but I will anyway. I um, He's in Haiti. He won't even hear this. So I, um, a, a part of my heart 
I, I can tell you this. A part of my heart is at RCC. And it is not because, like, I get to come down here and spend a couple of days and hang out with you guys. I mean, you guys are amazing, but, like, my family isn't here. I mean, I'd rather be back home, you know. So the reason I like RCC and the portion of my heart is here is because we actually give to this church. Our family does. Like, we decided that every church that, that has invited us to kind of speak out and be a part of it, that we wanted to also give and be a part of that church. And so when I come to RCC, in a way, it kind of a fun, cool way, it actually feels a little bit like coming home because part of my heart is here. And even though I'm only here a couple of times a year, part of my heart is here because part of our treasure is here. That's how this principle works. And here's what I have learned, that directing my heart is so much better than listening to my heart because my heart is dumb, but I can direct it and I can tell it where to go. And the best way to direct my heart is by directing my treasure somewhere. Wherever I want my heart to go, I just move money that way. I move stuff that way. And it changes everything in my heart. So what, 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 what about you? Like when you think about directing your heart, like how does your heart feel? Like how free do you feel? How, how worried do you feel? Like when you think about kind of where your heart has been directed. When you think about some of the biggest regrets that you have, maybe you think about even a regret you're living in right now. Odds are it came from listening to your heart, but, but not directing your heart. So what would it look like for you to direct your heart? And what would it look like for you to begin to consider how your treasure and your heart are so connected? I, I'm afraid that a lot of us probably haven't thought a lot about that. Um, when I started thinking about this for, for Woodstock City a while back, um, I realized that at Woodstock City, only about, I don't know, 25 or 30 percent of people who attend Woodstock City, um, our, our church, Woodstock City Church, give to Woodstock City Church. And so I asked Paul, you know, I said, hey, I said, is that true for you too? Like, that seems really low. Like, these people love our church. Like, I bump into people all the time. They're like, oh, my gosh, I love Woodstock City Church. And then I, you know, kind of find out that only 25 or 35, you know, 30 percent of the people give to the church. I thought, wow, that's weird. So I asked Paul, I said, hey, what is that like for you? And he said, oh, man, it's the exact same thing. Like about 25 to 30% of people who attend RCC give to RCC. So we're going to talk about that for a minute. Now, if you, I'm so glad I get to talk about it too because I don't work here. So like I'm not getting paid to tell you any of this. Like I'm just going to tell you what I think you need to hear and then you can be like, oh, that guy doesn't work here. You know, so it's, it's great. So, so I think that's weird that 25 or 35, 30% of you only give to RCC. And here's why I think it's weird. Because if somebody bumped into you in the street, now if you're brand new, if you're a guest, you know, you just, this is just for fun. But for the rest of us, this is for us. Like if somebody bumped into you and said, where do you go to church? If you say, oh, RCC, and you're like, do you like it? You would probably say yes, because if you didn't like it, you'd leave, right? So if you said RCC, it's probably because you like it. It's benefited you. It's been a part of, you know, your family. It's a part of the kingdom of God. It's moving the kingdom of God forward, you know, and so... That, that's kind of a big deal. Now, it could be that the other 70% of people are all like crazy generous to missions and Kenya and all this stuff. I doubt it. It's possible. It's possible. I doubt that's true, though. I doubt that's true. So let's just pretend for a minute it's not true. I, I started thinking, like, why is that the case? Like, why would 70% of the people not feel comfortable, like, investing in the kingdom of God through their local church that they really love? And I came up with three things because these, these three things are all three things that kind of were part of my life too at some point. So these, these three may be your three or may just be one of the three, but I think it's probably at least one of the three reasons. Here's the first one is that you just don't kind of trust the church. You don't trust RCC. I get that, man. Listen, 
I grew up in churches, and the more involved I got in churches, the more I got to kind of see behind the curtain. And every time I looked behind the curtain, I was like, ugh, close the curtain. Because the stuff behind the curtain was gross. It was icky, and, and especially financially. Um, I used to run a business, so we were kind of one of the bigger givers in this church before I started kind of doing this professionally. And um, I was asked to be on all these capital campaign committees, right? And then on the committee, I would hear all the way that we talked about money and how we treated money at this church. And I, I wanted to quit giving to the church because I didn't feel like they were trustworthy. I decided at Woodstock City when we started that church that we would do everything financially as if it was going to be printed on the front page of the paper or printed online because we never wanted anybody to think anything other than we were trustworthy because we were going to behave that way. Here's why I feel comfortable giving to RCC, because that's how Paul behaves and that's how the staff behaves too. Here's what they would tell you. They know that every dollar that they spend is a dollar that you gave to them. And you did not give them dollars to waste them, right? Like you would never go to a financial planner and go, hey, here's a thousand dollars. If you want to buy a boat with my money, go ahead. It's cool. I don't really care. Like you would never do that. That's insane, you know? And when it comes to the local church, when you invest in the local church, you want it to be stewarded well, and you want it to be treated as an investment. And RCC does that really well. So if you aren't sure about that, let me give you an opportunity to learn something about it. Today, at Next, we're going to spend 10 minutes just talking about generosity and finances at RCC. This is the place where you can ask any questions. There is nothing to hide about how we operate financially here. So if you're not sure you can trust this church, you owe it to yourself to go to Next and find out if this trust church is actually trustworthy. Now, Paul didn't also give me permission to say this, but again, who cares? So if you, if you don't feel like you're ever going to be able to trust this church, can I encourage you to do something? You should leave this church, and you should go somewhere else. Because you need to go to a church that you can trust. Because the church is God's plan to move the kingdom of God forward in the world. And you need to be a part of one that you can trust and engage in wholeheartedly. And if you can't do that here, man, find another one. There are churches everywhere. Like, find one that you can fully trust. Because your worry and your heart kind of depend on that. It's really critical to do that. So that's the first one. Now, here's the second thing. Maybe you just don't trust yourself. Like, maybe you don't trust you. You've been living off like 110% of your income for a while, and that ain't working out too great, is it? Like, it's really hard to do that. Or maybe you've just found yourself in a financial position, and your heart's in the right place, but there's just been some things that have been difficult for you. And you know that if you started giving, moving your treasure towards a local church, it would start really, you know, causing problems in your heart. I mean, I mean not in your heart, like in your life, because of just where you are. We understand that too, and we want to help you figure that out. We do this thing called Financial Peace University. It's a small group where we talk about everything money, everything, including budgets and income and expenses and fixed and variable. In fact, if you don't know what those words mean, you should definitely go to Financial Peace University because we want to help you find financial peace, and that's what this is all about. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe you just don't trust yourself. Here's the big one, though. It could just be that you don't trust God. It literally could just be that you don't trust God. And listen, I understand that too, man. Trusting God is hard to do. I mean, it isn't like he's sitting beside you and he's been trustworthy in person. I mean, he has, but it doesn't feel that way. Some of you have trust issues. Like, you don't trust anybody who you can see, feel, touch, and talk to, much less, you know, a God that feels ethereal or somewhere in the sky to you. You know, I, I get that. Like, I totally understand that. And Jesus understood that. Do you remember when he talked about worry and he asked that question? He said, why do you have so little faith? That's why he asked that question. 
Because faith and trust are the same thing. And Jesus knew that trusting God ultimately would be the most important decision that we make. Whether it comes to money or whether it comes to anything in life, that trusting God is difficult. And it's been that way since the very beginning. If you go back and read the Jewish scriptures, the nation of Israel, the entire Jewish scriptures are pretty much God telling the nation of Israel, you should trust me. And then they do and things would go well, and then they wouldn't and things would start being terrible. It's just over and over and over again. That's the, pretty much the Old Testament, right? And there's this guy named Malachi. Uh, Malachi is a, a prophet. God spoke through Malachi to the entire nation of Israel. And he spoke specifically about financial trust to the nation of Israel. He, here's what God said through Malachi. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that, they, uh, that there may be food in my house. And then check this out. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Remember that? We talked about storing stuff. He said, I'm going to bless you so much you couldn't store it even if you wanted to. Now, now really quick. This word blessing is really important. If you ever go to a church and they say, if you give God a dollar, he'll give you 10, run away from that church and keep your dollar. Because that guy's lying. That is not what this is about, okay? That guy just wants to buy himself a boat. He's trying to take your dollar to do it, okay? That is not what this verse is about. What this verse is about is that God can be tested. And if you are willing to give, move treasure towards the kingdom of God, it will be blessable. And it may, it may be blessable with money. I don't know. But what if it was just blessable with peace? And like, what if it was just blessable with a lack of worry? Like, what if that's the only blessing you got? That's actually the one that has been promised. Is that your worry will begin to melt away as your heart moves to the kingdom of God. That's the real blessing. And this is the truth. The best way to begin kind of trusting God is to actually just start testing God. The best way to start trusting is to start testing. Think about it like a pool. You know, like when it's been the winter and then the pool starts warming up in the spring and like your kids want to go swimming and they just jump right in because they're crazy, they're nut jobs, and it's super cold and they don't care, but you're an adult and you're rational, right? So what do you do? Like you don't just jump in the deep end, right? I mean, some of you do, but you're crazy too, right? What most of you do is you put your foot in on the first step in the shallow end. Isn't that true? And you stand there. You know what you're doing? You're testing the pool. And then eventually your foot goes numb and you take one more step in, you know, and you're testing a little bit more. That's what Jesus is talking about. Like you can test God that way. You can start and see how it goes. And then you can take one more step and see how it goes. And eventually you can be in the shallow end and you can do handstands. That's really fun in the shallow end. But eventually you're going to be comfortable in the shallow end. And God's going to go, come on, come to the deep. And you're going to need to test God one more time and get a little deeper with him. It's how every relationship works, and it's how the relationship with God works, too. The cool thing is that God literally invites you to test him in that. It's pretty bold, but it's also what a cool opportunity. So when it comes to kind of testing God, the best way to do that, I think, is just to have a three-month giving plan. Like, just for three months, not the rest of your life, just for three months, pick a percentage and give it first. That's it. Now, percentage is important, okay? Don't pick a dollar amount because you're like, you know, $100. That may be like a lot of money for some of you. For some of you, you like, you, you know, threw $100 out your window on the way to church today, you know? So like, you don't even care about $100 wouldn't mean anything to you. So pick a percentage. Pick 3%. Pick 5%. If you want to be really super bold, pick 10%. But just do it for, for three months. 
And listen, at the end of three months, if your financial world is completely falling apart, quit the giving plan. Don't believe anything I'm telling you. Jesus is a liar, and so I am, I am too, okay? Like, don't believe it. Here's what I think is going to happen. At the end of three months, you are not going to miss anything you've given away. I have never, ever regretted giving things away. I have regretted money I've misspent. I've regretted impulse purchases. I've never, ever, ever missed money that I gave away. Do it for three months. And here's what I think is going to happen. At the end of three months, at the end of three months, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I'm not as worried as I used to be. I have a lot more peace than I used to have. Hmm, that's weird. No, it's not. Jesus knew it was going to happen. He just knows you have to move treasure first for it to happen. And what's really cool about this whole thing is that when we start actually participating in the kingdom of God, guess what actually happens? Your relationship with Jesus changes too. Like, like when, you, when you begin to help the kingdom of God move forward, it helps the kingdom of God move forward, but it also helps your relationship with God change too. And your relationship with God is the point anyway. Like, like your personal relationship with God is what matters the most to God anyway. Isn't it about your stuff? God doesn't want your stuff. If he did, he's God. He would just take it. I mean, he made like 800 kinds of beetles. If he wants your stuff, he'll just take it. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. He wants to have a growing relationship with you. He wants it to be deep. And, but here's the thing. Your growing relationship with God requires this growing trust in God. Like, if you're not willing to trust God a little bit more, it's going to stunt your relationship with him. And he doesn't want that to happen. I'm telling you right now, if Jesus were here today instead of me, which would be way better if he was here, he would tell you this whole thing. He would give you the Sermon on the Mount. He would tell you to pray for your enemies and to pray for people who persecute you. He would talk about anger. He would talk about all those things. He would tell you you should be happy or feel blessed if you're mourning because something dynamic will happen through that with God. He'd tell you all those things. And then he would also tell you about the principle of money. And he would tell you that your heart will follow your treasure. And if you want your heart to move to the kingdom of God, your treasure has to move there too. And, and, and you may not make more money because you do it, but you will find more peace because you do it. And at the end of the conversation, he would look at you like he did 2,000 years ago on that mountain. And he would look at all of you. And you would all look really worried because Jesus has way more authority than me. And you would feel responsible to do it if he told you. And you would feel really worried. And then you know what Jesus would do? He would turn to this TV and he would say, hey, this is why I tell you not to worry. Because I'm Jesus. <laughs> and I'm in charge of this whole thing. And if you move in my direction, I will hold you. And if you move in my direction, I will catch you. And if you think things are going to fall apart, you don't have to worry about it because I'm in charge. So you don't have to worry because it's me that you're moving in the direction of. So what does that look like to do that? I'd love for you to consider it. And I'm just telling you this as a person who doesn't get paid to tell you that here. I think you should consider doing that. It'll change this church. It'll also change your heart. And what a win that would be for both people. Hey, before we leave, can we just pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. It, it really is crazy that you want us to do that with you, that, that you aren't kind of wanting to do it independent of us. You don't need us to do it, but you want us to do it with you. And the reason you want, it to, want us to do it, I think, is because of how it changes our heart and how it leads us to freedom and it leads us to, to peace and hope and all of these things that are the opposite of worry. So God, I just pray that you give us courage to, to kind of consider this and maybe even to try it for a minute just to see if you're right and to test you a little bit. 
Because, God, you said that we can test you. And so, God, we're going we're to test you. And we're going to see what you do as we test. And God, I pray that we will find peace and hope in all the things that you have promised on the other side. God, we love you. And Jesus, we just pray this in your name. Amen.